RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We're so happy that you are here one more time to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And we are taping this, ladies and gentlemen, on Wednesday evening. So for the second straight week after finally promoting it, I am not live tweeting during uh, Dynamite. So I, <laughs> I shouldn't even mentioned it, but I, but I, I enjoy it when I do it, and I look forward to uh, to doing it again. But just uh, the timing the last couple of weeks has been bad, so kind of put my foot in my mouth on that one when I talked about that a few weeks ago. But um, uh, kind of an interesting set of circumstances here because as we uh, tape this with our guest this week, Lance Archer, uh, I'm going to be we're promoting the New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, U.S. tour that will start. After the Friday after you listen to the, the when this drops on Monday, it'll start of the previous Friday, and I'll be there along with the world famous Jerry P. Tuck and special guests, and um, and then they're going to no, they're not going to Miami, they're going to Nashville. Uh, if you if you want to go see New Japan Pro Wrestling and you're listening when this drops on Monday tonight, they're in Dur- Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Thursday, January 30th, they'll be in Miami and uh, Saturday, February 1st in Atlanta, Georgia. So um, I'm assuming it's going to be an awesome show just based on all their shows. But, um, you know, so I'll say it's an awesome show, but I I haven't seen it yet. But so I'm interviewing a guy I haven't seen in a while who's going to be headlining the show that I haven't seen yet. But when this airs, I've already seen it and I've already seen him and I've already seen the Royal Rumble uh, as well. So we'll talk about all that next week is I guess what I'm trying to say, but, uh, interesting conversation with an interesting, uh, person. So without further ado, let's go to this week's guest, ladies and gentlemen, formerly Lance Hoyt, formerly Dallas, you know, him now as Lance Archer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in this week, New Japan Wrestling Superstar Lance Archer to the program. I knew him way back when he was Lance Hoyt in TNA and seen him in a while. Lance, welcome to City Ringside. Appreciate your time. Thanks, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, so, uh, great show in Tampa, and um, I heard uh, things went well in Nashville. And um, as this drops, we uh, truth be told, as this tapes, none of that has happened. But I, I, but the one thing I do have confidence in is that you guys are going to put on a great show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, but as this drops tonight, if uh, you hear this on Monday when it drops in the morning, if you live around Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, you could check out New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, Thursday. January 30th in Miami, my old stomping ground, and Saturday, February 1st in Atlanta. Hell, all three cities I've lived in since I was six years old, you guys are coming to out of five. That's pretty impressive. Y'all are doing yeah. y'all are doing the David Penzer tour, following my, my footsteps. Anyway, hey, um, so looking forward to seeing you on uh, Friday as we tape this, but as this drops, it was great seeing you on Friday. That's the world of podcasting. <laughs> right. So, uh, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Definitely want to get into New Japan uh, Pro Wrestling because there's so much, um, so so many of the big names in professional wrestling uh, right now have gone, are either in New Japan or have gone, cycled through New Japan, and I, I definitely want right. to get into that. But uh, talk a little bit about your your the past and your career, and I'm interested. I didn't realize, although I 
never really uh, had any reason to do any research that uh, you played uh, quarterback uh, for co- for Texas State University. Is State. that the, yes? And uh, yeah, I was, I was one of many standing on the sideline. Oh well, that that there goes <laughs> there there goes my next question. My question was: It's six eight six foot eight inches tall. Any thoughts to try and go? Pro, but I guess if you were sitting on the sidelines, the answer would be no. Uh, well, well, lots of thoughts, just no reality to it. <laughs> I'm surprised, man. That's uh, I mean, the quarterbacks are tall, but did you ever play baseball? Because the pitchers are like a lot of pitchers now are six seven, six eight. Yeah, you know, I that was one thing. Like, I did play baseball in high school, and I was actually pretty good. I didn't, you know, I, I was more into football, so my concentration was there. But I played baseball because it was something, you know, it was. My, the coaches wanted me to do. They knew I could throw the ball, so they wanted me out there on the baseball diamond. So I, I had really, really good control. I had a hell of a curveball that made people jump out of the box, a nice change-up, a little bit of a slider in there. Uh, I, I never got clocked with the speed. I don't think I had the fastest fastball, but I just had really, really good control. I kind of wish I'd stayed with it because the money that some of these pitchers make is ridiculous. The money they make in a year is enough that you could retire. It's it's absolutely it's unbelievable. Just ridiculous. So yeah, and uh, and you see some of the most successful these days pitchers are six 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 seven six eight. Uh, yeah, I'm a Tampa Bay Ray fan, so Ty Glass now comes to mind. He's probably about the same height as you are. Um, so uh, I, I, as a short guy, five foot six on a good day, I, I'm just curious, how is it, how, how is it being six foot eight? It must be fun. <laughs> it is fun until, you know, when you're in Japan, you hit your head on absolutely everything that goes <laughs> every doorway that you walk through and every shower that you try to get into. Uh, you know what? As somebody who's five, six, I take the six, eight with the hitting the head. Uh, but that's just me. Hey, so you started wrestling in 2000, if Wikipedia is correct. Uh, work in Texas Indies. Now, I'm very familiar with this time frame in professional wrestling because I had uh, not soon after that, I had uh, just lost my job. WCW got eaten up by WWE. There really wasn't a new Japan pro wrestling or uh, uh, a for, or a. Uh, ring of honor or especially in all elite wrestling at that point any frustration uh in the initial years of doing the indies in texas that uh you know of, of, of what kind of business did i get into where it's a one basically a one company business to be successful you know when i started in 2000 like you said you know the wwe her wwf at the time becoming wwe uh, it really monopolized everything there were really any options the independent scene wasn't like is is it is today um but, you know, I, it was all about passion. It was all about having fun. You know, I was only about four years into it when I when I signed on with TNA, the, you know, the brand new TNA. Um, so, you know, I was moving ahead pretty quickly. I was doing a lot of good stuff in Texas. There was a good local promotion in Dallas called PCW that ran TV here. So, you know, I, it, it wasn't just, you know, wrestling in a high school gymnasium in front of 20 people. We, we had a weekly show on TV here in Dallas, you know, full production, cameras, entrance music, entrance videos backstage stuff it was a you know small production but full production to television wrestling show so i was having a lot of fun it was a blast so i never saw it as any kind of a, of a issue or problem and you know like i said tna was just starting out in like 2003 and then i signed on in 2004 with them so you know i i got very lucky and kind of moved up pretty quick and you know start starting tna which was a growing new company that was looking to make its own mark in the business you know since you know wcw like you said had closed down and all that um 
so I was having fun. I was having a blast. Things were, things were moving quicker than I could even expect it to be, considering, you know, my training background was not very good. I got most of my training on the road, working shows and learning from the vets that were at the shows and stuff like that. So, you know, I was just having a blast, man. Like, it was a passion to be in the business and I was having fun. And like I said, with everything moving on and up, I was, I never saw like kind of the bad side other than the regular guest political crap that exists in the business. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I don't, I, I just had a thought that uh, came into my mind that I haven't thought about in 20 plus years. And I, I, I don't know that I've ever told anybody, but I was working in 2002, 2003, I was working for a company called the XWF, which never got off the ground, but we did do, uh, yeah, I saw some, I saw some stuff. Yeah. We did do, uh, TV tapings for pilot and we had Piper and, and, uh, Hogan was signed on and road warriors. And, and, and at the same time, Jeff was starting TNA. And I remember having a phone conversation. I actually had to leave the XWF offices and go up on the roof because I didn't want anybody to hear me. They can't fire me now. Screw them. Uh, (laughs) And and, and, because it was like talking to the enemy. But he said, Penzer, I want. Uh, how's the XWF going? Because everybody wanted wrestling to do well. You know, it wasn't right. like a competition at that point. It was like, let's do any, let's do something to, to give us a second company. So right. I said, I don't know. You know, we're trying to sell this television to networks, and I don't know how it's going. He goes, dude, that's the wrong way. And I said, why? What do you got going on? And he told me the concept of the weekly pay-per-views. And I said, you think that ours is the wrong way? I said, that'll never work. <laughs> and quite frankly, it didn't work. But no. But ours didn't last, and theirs did because uh, uh, I don't know the if they they, yeah I don't know if it was smart money people on our end or uh, not smart money people on their end. I don't know. Don't want to insult anybody, but uh, but they've I, I always say they have like twenty two lives. They have the lives of six cats. But uh, yeah, but and there's well still- the Carters are the the Carters are the one that really saved it. You know, I, I know that the Jareds had funded themselves, but I think they pretty quickly were running out of money. And, and then the Carter family, Dixie and her father with Panda Energy and all that came in and, and basically funded TNA. Um, and without that, TNA wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. Sure, sure, sure. I know. Uh, so tell me about getting hired by TNA. You're a young rising star to Texas scene and you get called to the, what somewhat national promotion at that point. Uh, was it right. like uh, Shangri-La? <laughs> you know, it was if I had fun at the beginning stages of TNA because everything was so new. Like, you know, I, I started when they were doing just the the weekly pay-per-views and, you know, the first impacts on uh, Fox Sports Network. So that was the first. And then, you know, we, we advanced to, you know, moving on to Spike TV and then doing the first three hour pay-per-views and then moving from one hour to two hours on Spike TV. And just everything was an advancement. And so it was always exciting times because it seemed like there was always new and exciting news. The only downfall of that was the company had some sort of an identity, but every time they took a step forward, they started to rely on the names of the past. And there's no knock on those guys because now I'm kind of in that boat. But it was like the company that was trying to make its own identity instead of continuing on the backs and had built them to that point would just to those guys. A lot of us anyway would just go, hey, guys, thanks for getting us here. We'll get back to you. Now that we're doing something bigger, we have to rely on this name and this name and this name, you know, and then there were just a lot of guys, like I said, including myself at that time that I felt like they just never really got back to the same way that they said they would. And and the ironic tie in and all this. And like I said, we'll get to it because I definitely want to talk about it is that it took New Japan Pro Wrestling for a lot of the talent uh, that was at TNA to Mm -hmm. get the legitimacy to now be major players. 
like an AJ yeah. Styles, for example, oh, yeah. or you know, even a Cody or uh, Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, uh, etc. Um, any good? Any any anything stand out in your time with TNA? Any fun stories? Any ribs? Any good? Uh, any your favorite time there? Uh, <laughs> you know, it was it was always kind of an interesting time there. I always tell my Dusty story because Dusty was a real big proponent in my my career, both in TNA and then my moving on into uh, uh, my short time in WWE. Um, you know, we worked, uh, worked with Dusty one time and the fun story that I always like to tell, there's a couple of them actually like, so it was me and kid cash and we were going to face Dusty and James storm because they were, uh, pushing, uh, um, Chris Harris as a singles guy for a little bit there. And, you know, we all kind of got together and we were talking to Dusty and Dusty was like, listen, baby, this is what's going to happen tonight. We're going to go out there. We're going to tell a good story. It's going to be a good time. People are going to love this. And uh, he goes, but one thing, baby, it's like, if I fall down, everybody fall. <laughs> and and we all just kind of laughed. No, we laughed. We all just went, <laughs> yeah. He, was, he wasn't he goes, joking. No, he wasn't. He was like, no, baby, seriously, if I fall down, <laughs> everybody falls down. We all spent the whole match just hoping that Dusty would fall <laughs> down so that we could all just randomly fall on our ass and everybody go, what the hell is going on? But, you know, Dusty, absolute professional, didn't do it. He did his thing. People loved it. It was a blast. Um, my, my other Dusty story that I love to tell, and like I said, these are both affectionate stories. So sure. if anybody hears it in any different way, don't tell you. I love Dusty. Dusty took care of me in so many amazing ways. Um, so I was Dallas when I first started at TNA. Um, and I had three different names in my time in TNA. I was Dallas, Lance Hoyt, and Lance Rock by the time I finished with TNA. But I had been taken off TV. I wasn't teaming with Cash. I didn't even know what was going to be happening, you know, if I was going to be sticking around with the company or not. So I actually flew myself out to Orlando, like, to get in their face and go, what's going on? Because it was, you know, one of those classic business things. Nobody's answering. Nobody's replying. You know, and this was before – Sadly, this was before everybody was absolutely connected to their phone and you couldn't have an excuse of not seeing something or whatever. Um, so I flew out to Orlando and I got there and there was a little bit of a contract dispute going on with Abyss and the company. And, you know, it looked like Abyss might actually jump ship. And so they didn't know what was going to go on. And he actually left the taping. So they plugged me in. I was there and Kid Cash had a match. He was supposed to be teaming with Abyss. Um, so I, I worked with him. Uh, then they were like, OK, we're going to be bringing you back. And but they were like, we're changing your name to Lance Hoyt. And so I went to Dusty and I, cause I, I thought it was a horrible idea just in general. I was like, I never wanted to be Lance Hoyt in wrestling at that time. Um, later it kind of became one of the better times in TNA with Hoytomania and the fans taking it and doing their own thing with it. But anyway, so I went to Dusty and I was just like, Dusty, I was like, listen, okay, if I'm going to be Lance Hoyt, can I cut a promo and basically tell the world why I'm Lance Hoyt? Can I go out there and go, you know, Dallas wasn't my real name. I'm Lance Hoyt. The real Lance Hoyt is here. And I'm about to show you what it's all about, blah, 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 something to that effect. And Dusty was like, yeah, baby, that's that's a good story. I like that. But listen, we're just going to do it subtly, baby, subtly. And I was like, OK, but you don't think it'd be better if I just kind of come out strong and, and say that I'm Lance Hoyt? And he goes, no, baby, we're going to do it subtly. Listen, he goes, if you were selling out 20,000 theater arenas, that'd be good. But you're not. So we're just going <laughs> to do it subtly, baby. <laughs> and I said, OK, I'm on TV. And he goes, yeah, I go. Good. We're good to go. <laughs> Let's go with it. We'll do it subtly. <laughs> It's amazing. I've been doing this podcast almost every week for two years and uh, a recurring a recurring theme through a lot of the wrestlers that are from your time. Tyrus comes to mind, the Pope, uh, 
uh, <laughs> uh, so many guys is their affection uh, for how much Dusty helped them and meant to them in their career. It, it's it doesn't it doesn't not that it surprised me when I first heard it, but now I'm half expecting it. When you start talking about Dusty Rhodes, I'm thinking, oh. Another another dusty uh, somebody dusty affected. It's amazing, uh, you know. Yeah. He affected. I I grew up watching him in championship wrestling from Florida as an eleven year old, and uh, and and you know he you know helped me love the business. And then it's funny how twenty thirty years later he helped so many guys. So it's just something that always stands out. Hey, the one thing you had mentioned the Hoytomania thing. The one uh-huh. of the one of the cool things about um about the Impact Zone was that. You know, they were there was regulars there for sure. And mm-hmm. a lot of things happened that were organic that, you know, the company yeah. wasn't planning. And that was one of the things. So tell me about that. How is that? Uh, it must be a cool feeling. I always I always say that the coolest things in professional wrestling or any life event are the things that happen organically that you don't plan. Uh, how, how cool was that that they were taken to you like that? It was awesome, you know, because it was even though there was uh, supposedly people were taking the rumors and saying that I was taking all these people out in Orlando to eat at the infamous ale house over there by the Double Treat Hotel, which if anybody knew how much money that was not making with TNA at the time, there's no way I'm taking a group of 20, 30 people out to eat, you know, on my bill. Um, but you know, that was kind of the running joke was that, that the only reason that these people had started this group and were making their own t-shirts and signs that to the point where they're like ask, having to ask them, cause they would all sit on the front row and they'd all hold up these signs, like, you know, written out across seven whiteboards, Hoytomania, and they'd have to ask them to hold them down because they were blocking the view of other people and whatnot. And, um, so it was really cool because it did happen organically. Like I was just, you know, amazingly the fans for whatever reason gravitated towards me and accepted me kind of as one of their own. And, you know, it just kind of started to blow up and, you know, um, again, one of those situations where I, I wish it truly would have been capitalized on. Um, I I felt it never actually was, I I was kind of the continuous baby face that never won, you know, the, the, the baby face that the fans always liked and they always wanted to do something special. But, you know, month after month, pay-per-view after pay-per-view, I never rewarded them for their affection towards me because I'd never won. It was always like going to these pay-per-views with decent matches against decent opponents. And instead of doing something bigger and better and, and, and like I said, rewarding them for their admiration of me, they I just lost. And eventually, I think it kind of killed it off and died down. And maybe that was planned, you know, just keep having me lose until these people shut the hell up. In, in, in all fairness to Ale House, I, I know at the time, I don't know if they still have it, they did have $2 Smirnoff uh, drinks. Uh, I can't tell. I, I don't know how I, I know that. But, uh, huh? I still couldn't have afforded to give them all Smirnoff. <laughs> oh, I got you, man. I got you, man. That was uh, that was one of the uh, – I, I hung out at the Doubletree back then with uh, Tanae and Don West and them drinking $9 drinks, but uh, – <laughs> I wasn't. Bu- I wasn't buying anybody any. That was for sure. There was right. no. There was no Pennsylvania going on. Um. So when you look back to at your time at TNA, you, uh, I'm assuming you look back at the way you talk about it as a positive experience, even though it didn't go maybe totally the way you were hoping. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've I've never looked at any of my time. You know, even in my short-lived time with WWE, I, I don't look at it as anything negative. I did nothing but learn, work with some of the biggest, best names to ever cross paths in this business. And, you know, it's, it's helped me get to the point where I'm at today. So, you know, my time at TNA, regardless of what I felt of it being, you know, only getting so far and whatnot, um, I still saw it as an amazing experience, learning experience, 
getting a chance to be on, a, you know, at the time, the second biggest stage, you know, really in, in the country and in the world, you know, next to WWE. Um, it, it, so, yeah, I, I see nothing but positive. And I try not to look at the negative anyway. You know, it, it, this society today tries to find the negative in everything and anything all the time. And I'm just like, how do you live like that? And like, I just try to look at the fun and good times, the friends I made at TNA, same with my time at WWE, same with my time in New Japan. It's just, you know, look for the best things, focus on those and move forward away from the negative. Amen. God bless you. That's a, that's a, a sentiment that's not, uh, that's not nearly as, uh, as consistent as it should be these days, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, you it's know, hard. People, you know, it, people, you know, people get so offended that, you know, we just thought we had uh, Disco Inferno on last week and we got into mm-hmm. this a little bit deep because Glenn's really uh, uh, has a lot of uh, strong views about Twitter and social media, but oh, yeah. people like, they get afraid that they're going to offend me. I'm like, I-, I was around the wrestling business for almost 30 years. It takes a lot more than your stupid comment to offend me. Yeah. I, you know, and then the funny thing about Twitter and people getting offended, it's like, the crazy thing about it is all you have to do is keep scrolling. And if you don't reply to these people who have 23 followers, 100 followers, nobody ever notices what they said. They can say the dumbest, most disrespectful thing in the world. And if you don't reply to them, nobody knows that they ever said it. Uh-huh. You know, even their even their 100 followers, most of the time, aren't paying attention to them, probably aren't even on Twitter. And again, we'll never see what they say. So don't, I don't even I just keep scrolling. And, and if somebody says something cool or nice and positive, I'll usually respond to it. Um, but like I said, if it's negative, I just ignore it and keep going. Amen. Hey, uh, I saw that you were uh, in a battle royal at uh, WrestleMania, I think, 26 at Phoenix Stadium. I always say yeah. that the two things, the only two things left on my wrestling bucket list is Madison Square Garden, which will never happen, and WrestleMania, which definitely will never happen. Uh, tell me <laughs> tell me about your WrestleMania experience. Even though it was a dark battle royal, it still had to be hell of a rush going out. WrestleMania, uh, the marquee event in professional wrestling in front of what, like 70,000, 80,000 people? Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, and this is this was pre Nepcare. And, you know, now, even though it's it's four hours before the actual pay-per-view starts and they've got matches going on, you know, this is back when, you know, the pre-show Battle Royal was kind of a, a yearly staple that they would do. And uh, it was the only thing and it would show up on the DVD and whatnot. But it, for me, like I said, it was my first time with the company, um, you know, really hadn't even been doing anything because they'd shut the ECW, the ECW product down. I really hadn't been doing anything. And so just to be included in it, to lace up the boots, to walk down the ramp, um, it was such a cool time, you know, and I took that moment to stand on the the, the ring post and, and just kind of look at that huge stadium and that crowd and know that, you know, that ultimately there was going to be 70 plus thousand people in there. There's still, there's probably about 40,000 in there filtering in at the time and halfway not paying attention to us silly guys out there just having a good time. You know, hell, I, I'm one of the only few people that the, uh, the Cobra from Santino actually made bleed. He actually, he just blasted me in the mouth with the Cobra and busted my lip. And like I remember Fit Finley, we came back and Fit was like, what the hell happened? I was like, oh, the, the Cobra got me. He goes, what? How the hell did the Cobra get you? And I go, oh, miscommunication. And it struck me hard. <laughs> it was just, and I laughed about it. My friend, uh, he's Tyler Rex, uh, you know, uh, Gabe Tuff. Uh, you know, he was there with the company at the time. He's one of my best friends and randomly just kicked me square in the balls. And just, I was one of those things, like I'm out in WrestleMania and I get kicked square in the balls. And I was just like, this is still the best time in the world just to be out there at WrestleMania. So there's no complaints. You can't complain that there's, you know, only so many people that actually get to do that, you know, and even though it was just a pre-show battle Royal, it's still a memory that I'll never forget. 
Yeah. Hey, compare the differences between wrestling in Phoenix Stadium for WrestleMania and wrestling in the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom. Well, for me personally, there, there is no comparison because I've been lucky enough to be a part of six Wrestle Kingdoms, seen it grow every year, um, have had title defenses. You know, uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr., Harry Smith and I were uh, tag team in New Japan for like six plus years. And we held the IWGP tag titles three, three separate times and defended them three separate times. You know, the first time successful uh, in the Dome and then the other two times not successful. But still, we walked in as champions in the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom. And then this last year, my, you know, my first singles competition in Wrestle Kingdom as the United States champion against John Moxley, you know, one of the hottest wrestlers outside of WWE that exists, you know, one of the hottest wrestlers period in the business today. Um, uh, you know, so for me, the experience is, is, is a, it's, you can't compare it because of the special meaning that wrestle kingdom has meant to me in my career. Um, like I said, WrestleMania is just, it's obviously WrestleMania, but it was again, just a pre-show battle Royal. And I was just lucky enough to get to do it, but it wasn't what wrestle kingdom has been for me in my career. It's funny you mentioned Harry Smith because we're going to have him on in the next week or two on the podcast. So just total coincidence. But um, uh, talk, talk to me about cool. teaming with him as the Killer Elite Squad. I know that uh, you guys had quite a run. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things like, you know, people are like, I've been asked before. It's like, how did you guys end up together? Did you know each other? This and that. Da, 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 da. And, uh, you know, I'd actually been with New Japan for about a year prior to him rejoining because he did some stuff when he was super young like 2005 like he was 18 or 19 years old you know and then obviously he went to wwe and did his stuff there um you know we knew each other from wwe we'd had a few matches you know me and kurt hawkins against him and uh tyson kidd and stuff like that but we weren't like buds or anything like that um i knew that they were going to be bringing him into back back into new japan um, I didn't know that they were actually going to team us together until like I actually brought up an idea for a Wrestle Kingdom match. And then was let, I was letting know at that time, I was like, oh, you know, Harry Smith is coming in and we're going to team you guys together. They love the idea of these two giant guys in together, um, you know, and then when Smith first showed up, uh, you know, he was Harry Smith for a little while. They ultimately changed to David Boy Smith Jr., and uh, we were just we were really hands on and working together. And we both kind of came up with the name Killer League Squad and the look and the, the aura and stuff like that. And we were part of Suzuki Goon. And, you know, I was a real big component, you know, talking to the bookers that, you know, that Smith and I had our own team name because we were already a part of Suzuki Goon, which is a larger group. You know, there's a lot of groups in Japan. There's Chaos. There's Bullet Club, obviously, that the world really, really knows about. There's Suzuki Goon, the group that I've been a part of the entire time of been with new japan um so you know i was a real big component on smith and i having our own tag team name so that you know it, it by itself could be branded and whatnot so smith and i worked really hard and, and were really cohesive especially in the beginning because i think both of us you know even though he's the son of the british bulldog and he's already done pretty decent things in the business tag team champion in wwe and things like that i think he was still trying to find his true own identity in this business and myself who'd been at TNA in a very short stint in WWE. And now I'm really trying to find myself in new Japan. Um, I think we both saw it as an opportunity to, to really kind of make our own mark in the business, uh, you know, in new Japan as a team. And so it was a lot of fun, you know, like I said, having three different, uh, IWGP tag title defenses or, uh, runs, excuse me. Uh, we were two time NOAA GHC tag team champions and, and one of the longest runs uh, in NOAA GHC, or excuse me, the most title defenses in GHC history. 
Um, we're two time NWA world tag team champions, you know, and, and so we, we, we had a pretty good run as a tag team, you know, and just recently things, you know, in this last year when it's kind of separated, you know, he's doing really good things at uh, MLW right now and I'm happy and proud for him. Um, and then luckily for me, you know, things have kind of taken off and exploded in this last year from the G1 and then the U.S. title and Tokyo Dome and all that fun stuff. Hey, it was a pretty good you set up a pretty good segue because my next question was uh, you had like, you know, you had a little bit of success in, in TNA and, and a little briefly in, in, in WWE. You obviously got the size, you got the look and you could work. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. think the difference was of going to New Japan that finally got you over that hump to where you're now a, a worldwide uh, name? You know, you're that guy that Dusty said, you know, maybe not selling out 20,000 seat stadiums, but you're a hell of a lot closer than you were back then. <laughs> hey, there were there were 40,000 in the Tokyo Dome. And I, got a, I was one of the key markups. There you go. That you're right. Fun. Actually, you're in the semi main event. Dusty, I hope you're watching, brother, because <laughs> I had forty thousand out there. I, hey, I'm sure <laughs> knowing Dusty, he'd be proud. He'd be guy. Like, he'd be like, I, that, so. I can't. I'm the only one in the world who can't do a Dusty impression. But he'd be like, that's Dallas for you. That's that that, that that's it, baby. I said you wasn't doing it, but you, <laughs> damn it, you did it. Good job, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah uh, um, what was the question again? The question was what what finally clicked in New Japan oh, Pro okay. Wrestling that didn't in TNA yeah. and and WWE that got you the notoriety that uh, that you had been that you had been trying to to get. Right, uh, you know, I it was one of those things like I, time in the business, maturity, understanding, you know, taking all the immense knowledge that I you know gained from working at TNA and working at WWE. You know, some guys are, are good enough and lucky enough to, to hit that stride really early. Um, and it's taken me a little while. I'm not ashamed of it at all. I'll be very proud when my career is done with what I've done and the time that I've been, you know, almost 20 years now in the business and most of that at a higher level with a higher level company. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that I'm just, I'm very proud of everything. Um, but with New Japan, I, I've said it before, it, it was just one of those things like I've worked in companies before that there was a lot of no's. There was a lot of, yeah, that's okay, but don't do that. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah, you can't do that. That's so-and-so's move. Yeah, that looks too similar to those guys' thing. You can't do that. A lot of those no's. So there's a lot of times that, you know, you just didn't really know what you could or couldn't do when you're young and you're trying to, you know, understand and, you know, walking on those eggshells, however you want to say it, you don't want to piss anybody off. Um you know, hell, when I debuted in WWE on their ECW product, f- five minutes before the doors opened, I had long hair, you know, down to the middle of my back. I had a braided goatee, this big old biker jacket. You know, I had this image and this persona that I'd kind of been working on in my time in their developmental in FCW. And that was kind of the reason I got brought up. And then five minutes before doors opened, you know, Vince and, uh, and Johnny were just kind of looking at me from ringside and like literally they're putting the staff in the building and they're about to start letting people in the building and everybody else is gone. And they're just kind of looking at me. And then Johnny was like, kid, come here. I was like, what's up, Johnny? He's like, kid, we're cutting your hair. I went, uh, okay, cool. I'm still on TV tonight. He goes, yeah. I go, all right, do whatever you got to do. And, you know, they, they chopped my hair and they shaved my face and they had me lose the jacket and whatnot. And it was just one of those kind of reset buttons that could have been good and could have been bad. And it was just, I didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, I, I tried to do my best and I felt like if ECW had continued, regardless of how it was seen, you know, the WWE ECW, I think I would have had an opportunity, but it didn't and it wasn't. And that story came to an end. Uh, moving on to New Japan, it was a lot of, 
that was good, but give us more, be bigger, be stronger, more monster. I heard more monster so many times. I've said that a few times in different interviews. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good guy. Very good lines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more big, more strong, more scary, more monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I heard that so many times and it was never, like I said, it was, I never heard, no, don't do that. It was always, that's good, but be more. And so it was just always like, okay, I'll give you more. I'll be bigger. I'll be stronger. I'll be more monster. You know? So I think that positive reinforcement of good, but bigger, more stronger monster rather than no, don't, ah, yeah, stop. You know, all those negative things that you hear sometimes in this business. I think that just helped create a confidence in me that I finally figured out who I always should have been in this business. And if I'd have figured that out in TNA, or if I'd figured that out in WWE, uh, my story would be very different right now, but it's not. And again, I'm not ashamed. I'm very happy of what I've done and where I've gotten and where I plan to continue to get to. So, you know, they're going to see bigger, stronger, more monster from here on out for the rest of my career. More monster. I love it. Hey, uh, <laughs> New Japan is very unique as, as many people know, and the actually the whole Japanese system, but New Japan is the most pop. I think the biggest pro wrestling company, uh, today. Um, but they have their, their dojo system where, the you know, mm-hmm. uh, the young guys, they start out, you know, uh, training, they got to live in the dojo, they work out, then they got to set up the ring and, and, and kiss right. the, kiss the, the stars backside. Um, <laughs> I, I, everybody knows if they listen to his podcast that, uh, uh, Fit Finley and his wife Mel and their family are are long time very close friends. I don't say that to brag; it's just a fact. Um, no, and that I, we had Dave Finley, David on the podcast about a year ago, and um, and I've seen him, uh, known him since he was four years old. So I'm just wondering when you see a group like uh, Juice Robinson, Jay White, David Finley start, you know, literally, you know, from the very bottom of the dojo in New Japan, and now. Uh, you know, the, the Juice and David are, are are the tag team champions, and Jay has been you know in the in the top mix. How, how's that evolution? Oh, yeah. How's that evolution? And how does that work? How does that work? Is that is that like uh, does that system work? Because you have you, you still have to pay your dues, and you really appreciate when you finally get the opportunity. You know, considering I've never actually had to do it the route that those guys that you just mentioned have really gone. I don't fully understand their aspect of where they've gotten to, but you know, it, it's, it's definitely a different kind of, from the company's viewpoint, a, a respect level to them when they do go through that, when they do stick it out, <clears throat> you know, the history of being a young lion, a young boy going through the dojo is such a hard, hard thing to do. Um, and, you know, now New Japan's expanding their dojo system in L.A. and they're working very closely with Fale, who has his own dojo out in, in New Zealand and stuff like that. Um, so you're seeing a lot of like Regal's Boys is, is one of the young lions right now as well. I heard that, uh, but I, I was thought that was supposed to be a secret. Well, then I just let it out. <laughs> I didn't know it was supposed to be. I actually, so anyway. knew, I actually knew him when he was four years old too. So all, we all lived in Peachtree City in Atlanta. So, uh. so when you when you air this, bleep that. Um, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, you know, regardless, he, he there's so many guys that are going through that system. So now you mentioned Fit Finley, or excuse me, Fit excuse, David and 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 Juice, who you know Juice had been a part of the WWE product right. and been in NXT and all that stuff, and he decided that you know that just wasn't for him, and he wanted to be a part of New Japan and went into that part of the system, went from being a guy who was wrestling and on TV and doing those things to kind of taking a back seat and going back into that training mode. 
Um, so there's a respect level for him to even choose to do that, you know, and then Finley, who's obviously his father is who he is and has made the name he's made and, you know, probably could have done whatever he wanted on the independent scene, just being David Finley, but David choosing to go through that system and the respect level that, you know, fit has for that system and everything, you know, it creates a respect level towards David as he advances on. And then Jay White, who talking about Fale's dojo came from Fale's dojo and then it, it, it in essence, is the most successful Gaijin uh, young lion, in my opinion, that's probably ever come out of any system ever because, you know, he went through Fale's system and then he went into the, the New Japan Dojo in Japan. And now he's a former IWGP heavyweight, IWGP intercontinental, IWGP US champion, uh, kind of that triple crown tri- trifecta going on there, you know, and was just in, you know, two of the top main matches on that card you mean you know jay was lucky i brought that forty thousand into the tokyo dome for him (laughs) Um, but you know he he had a match that was slightly more important than mine uh you know it was in the main event of the g1 climax which still to this day in essence is the number one singles heavyweight tournament in this business period um you know and he was in the main event of that with ibushi and then like i said he was in one of the four matches that were at the january 4th tokyo dome and then he had another big match that he won on the second night of the Tokyo Dome, you know, and so it's just to see what they're doing and the respect that they gained because of the path they took. I think it's a different level. And I think the idea also is that, you know, for aspiring wrestlers, if they see that and they go, well, I can do that too. That's what I want to be. And then they know those stories of Juice Robinson who left the biggest company in the world to, to kind of backtrack and go that route. Uh, uh, David Finley, who's the son of Fit Finley, like I said, who could have basically done whatever he wanted and gone whatever route he wanted, chose to go into that system at that point and be a trainee, a young lion. And then, you know, uh, Jay White, who started out in New Zealand, in essence, was, and, and no offense to Jay, was, it was nobody. He was just a kid who had a dream and he sure. went into Fale's dojo. And then he got into the New Japan dojo. And now he's the one of the most successful ever. Um, you know, and part of the, one of the biggest groups in the world, the Bullet Club. So, I mean, I think it's aspiring to that young next generation if they go well if, what, what's going to happen if i go into the dojo well look what look what's going to happen you have that chance and that possibility if you have that it factor when you come out of it sure and they they, they strapped a, a rocket to jay white like i've never seen before and i you know yep. they needed they needed some fresh talent at the time they had just lost a whole bunch of guys you know uh yep. and and i wanted to get to that because we sort of talked about that a little bit at the beginning um right you know, so many of the top talent now in the major companies have come through New Japan Pro Wrestling. AJ Styles, uh, they wouldn't touch him in WWE until he went over and was able to sell out and, and headline a dome show. Uh, Gallows and Anderson, you know, you, you know their story, and they got yep. they got huge deals, even though they they really aren't used that much, unfortunately. Even uh, I had Chris Jericho on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and even he admitted that it took him going to New Japan Pro Wrestling to realize. Uh, that he wanted life outside of WWE. Uh, right. That's what caused him to go. And you talk about it. We talk about Omega, Cody, the Young Bucks. The list goes on and on. And that's not that, that's not it. I mean, the homegrown guys, the Finn Balors and the the Pax and the, the you know, there's there's just a net never ending list. What do you think it is about New Japan Pro Wrestling that 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 sets guys up to be so successful? Well, I think it goes back to that more monster mentality. Um, and like I said, not everybody's a monster in the business. Everybody has their own path and their own style and whatnot. But I, I think that's the premise behind it is that that sport aspect, that true, pure pro wrestling aspect that, that New Japan has had 
I think sometimes brings out the absolute best in these guys because there's not a lot of BS there. And um, you brought up names like Pack, and you brought up names like Balor, you know, uh, guys that, you know, really cut their teeth, Gallows and Anderson. You know, Anderson had been there for many years and tag team champion, and then him and Gallows got together and just more success. And then, you know, the AJ, who truly is everywhere he's ever gone at any time ever has just been absolutely phenomenal. But, yep. you know, WWE didn't see that in him until he went and was successful in, in New Japan. And, you know, now he's absolutely one of their top guys, and they're probably kicking themselves for not having him longer than they did, you know, things of that nature. And uh, I just think, you know, New Japan has done a good job of creating an environment that breeds success for guys because there's, again, there's not a lot of no, it's more that's good, but give us more. And unfortunately I think, I think that's something that companies around the world from the independents on up to the biggest company in, in the world still right now, that is WWE um, could learn from is like, you know, just get, let, you know, you've got talent, let them be everything they can be and then ask them for more. And in, and the ones who will give you more will truly shine as stars. The ones who can't and don't, then you understand that they, they weren't in the right spot at the time. So, you know, but if you're telling, if you're telling guys, no, I think that's when you, you hinder what guys can truly do. If you tell them yes and more, I think you'll get so much more out of everybody. Yeah. You'd think that, I mean, you know, I don't know about what's going on in WWE in the front office. I have no contacts there at all. Uh, right. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm, just guessing, but you would think that since not only do they have so many of their big names that have come through New Japan Pro Wrestling, but so many of their competition now has come through New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, you would really think that they would want to sit down and figure out what the the attitude is over there that makes that makes that, that makes these guys that weren't necessarily huge stars in your territory or, you know, like a Cody Rhodes or, uh, you know, even the young bucks in TNA. I remember when they were there and I thought they were fantastic and they never really, you know, they never really got a huge push either. So, but, uh, uh, but, but yeah, you would think they'd sit down, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going on over there. They, they, they got billion dollar contracts. So I guess that they don't worry about that. Um, Hey, Okay, now we got to get to, and, and I'm getting ready to wrap things up because I appreciate your time. I got to get right. to the elephant in the room. Part of me has been anxious to ask you this, and part of me, when I saw it this morning, is like, ah, uh, really? But I woke up this morning, and Sports right. Illustrated is uh, reporting that you are negotiating to go to AEW. Uh, I don't expect you to like make your big announcement on my freaking podcast. But if right. I did, if I didn't ask you, considering it just broke this morning on Sports Illustrated of all places, which is a reputable right. news source, uh, I wouldn't I be doing my job. So, anything you could say about that? I'll be wrestling at New Japan Pro Wrestling this weekend in the southeast of the United States of America. And I hope to, and I will see you there. Uh, talking about the U.S. tour before we let you go. Um, all right. Do you think that that uh, I don't know if you have any idea what the plans are, uh, but do you think that they'll ever be like a major U.S. tour? Or do you think that so far it's just been like small, either one offs like the Cow Palace or right. in Long Beach or small regional tours like this one right. in the south uh, covering, you know, about a week and a half? Do you think that right. uh, they'll ever be a, a major tour, you know, maybe four to six weeks throughout the whole country? You know, I, I think this is you have to look at this as a huge advancement to what they're doing because they're running two tours at the same time. There's the, the U.S. tour um, and the New Japan, the J Japanese side of the New Beginning tour. This is a tour that happens every year 
in uh, Japan, but this is the first year they're running side by side. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably more of the plan moving forward is to continue to push and test these th- these shows and these possibilities of kind of splitting the rosters. And, you know, like we've got Tanahashi and Ibushi and uh, G.O.D. and you've got uh, Yano and Yoshihashi and Nagata. Um, so you've got these Japanese stars that are on our tour, but then you have the guys in, that are over in Japan that are, you know, doing the new, new beginning tour in Japan. Um, so yeah, I think there's going to be advancements as long as the fan base supports it. You know, they obviously started their new Japan of America, uh, company here in the States where it was just kind of before it was just new Japan doing stuff in, in America. And now they have their own office and own in essence, uh, offshoot company it's still you know under the umbrella of new japan but they're branching out and expanding so you're going to see more and more you know we did the g1 opening match or opening night of the g1 at the american airlines center this last year uh, in dallas texas you That's know right. and that was a huge 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 deal um so i think you're going to start to see more of that and it, it like i said it's just if the fan base continue, continues to support it It'll continue to grow, it'll continue to get it bigger, and you'll continue to see more. If the fan base doesn't support it, I mean, I think they're going to be smart about it, and they'll just advance as it's allowed to do, if that makes sense. So, you know, the, the, the more it grows by the fan base support, the more and bigger and better and faster that they'll get more of it. If it's not as big and not as strong, then they'll taper back, and they'll continue to be more strategic and figure out the best route to take for each one of those tours and shows and things that they do in that nature you know and um so yeah i think you're going to see more but again it's just based on the support and how it moves forward because their business in japan is just it's ridiculous right now i mean there's there's not a tour there's not a show that you know even in the smaller buildings they run you know cork and hall at full no room capacity is like 2100 and very rarely do they ever fall under that you know if they run three nights in a row maybe night two of that is only 1900, you know, but the first night and the third night usually always absolutely sold out standing room only, you know, every person that could possibly be in the building is allowed in the building at the time. Like I said, they just ran two nights, you know, in, in, in the Tokyo dome, 40 plus thousand, the first night, 30 plus thousand, the second night. So 70 close to 75,000 over a two night period. Plus, uh, their, uh, 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 new year's dash show, which has always been at Cork and hall was moved into a bigger building. So oh, instead really? of, instead of having 2,100 people at their, you know, basically their raw after mania type scenario, if, if people don't understand what new year's dash is, um, that's a it's great all, way to been, explain it. Actually, it, it's exactly. And it's a full reset button. It's, you know, they never announced the card. It's like that night they tell people what, you know, matches are happening and things like that. Um, but they went from a 2100 seat building to a 6000 seat building and sold it out. So, I mean, in Japan, it's, you know, they can't really back off what they're doing there because they're doing so well. But, yeah, the American market, I think, is something they're very serious about, which is why New Japan of America exists. It's why they're going to start running more. And like I said, if the fan support is there, it'll get bigger and bigger. It'd be interesting to see how this tour does. Hey, last question. Uh, and I wasn't yep. planning on asking you this, but you mentioned it. We talked about wrestling in, at WrestleMania. We talked about wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, right. I, I, I forgot that uh, they did uh, G1 right in your backyard at Dallas. Yeah. How, was, how was that to go back to Dallas and be able to be a part of that uh, card? For me, it was absolutely amazing because you got to consider I, this is where I started. Like I talked about that independent company PCW back in the day. Sure. Um, and that was, you know, in the early 2000s. And, 
you know, those same fans and friends that have been watching me since before TNA, when I was just shadow out of Dallas and the small organization out of here have watched me go through all of that to TNA, to WWE, to all my stuff in Japan and for the G1 climax to have the first time ever outside of Japan also for this amazing tournament uh, and to hold it in Dallas, Texas in the American Airlines Center, you know, like I said, in essence, in my backyard, I had, again, I had fans in essence that had been watching me since the very start of my career. Uh, my family was like four rows back from, you know, the, the announcers and I could see them from the ring and, you know, just that moment to be able to finish it with the claw using the EBD claw, the everybody dies claw that I call it in Dallas, Texas, which, you know, with the Von Eric family, Von that Eric, holds yeah. a, a huge, huge history right there. Um, just that that whole moment, everything combined, and to go out and I, in essence, just to kind of kickstart my uh, resurgence. I don't know how else you want to say it in, in my career. You know, having the match that I had with Will Osprey in front of the world that was watching, um, because you know, and it was on live TV here in the state, something that you know they don't get to do very often, and you know, right now they're not on access, so they don't get to do it at all. Um, so it was one of those things that, you know, there's so many things that were so cool and special about it. And to just be able to be blessed enough to knock it out of the park that night in front of family, friends and everybody, I can't, it's hard to explain how cool that was. Yeah, talk about a full circle moment. That's super cool. Hey, thanks yeah. for your time. I look forward to seeing you a couple days. Uh, and, um, uh, if you do go back to Japan, uh, be sure to remember to when you walk in the doors to lower your head. Uh, oh, I've, I've learned about very quickly <laughs> everywhere I go. All right, buddy. Nice talking to you. Thank you for your time. Lance Archer, ladies and gentlemen. Cool interview. Want to thank Lance Archer. And uh, based on his response to the question, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him turn up on Dynamite anytime in the near future. So, but uh, uh, I'm surprised that uh, quite frankly, the way he talks about new Japan pro wrestling, that he would want to leave or be willing to leave, but sometimes you got to move on. And uh, I think he'd be a great fit, obviously in, uh, you know, most of the top guys in that company have had runs or were top names in new Japan pro wrestling. So it seems like a perfect match. And uh, we couldn't get confirmation, but he didn't deny it. So that's better than a denial. Anyway, I um, want to thank him and uh want to, re- to remind you guys if uh, uh, Thursday, January 30th in Miami, Saturday, February 1st in Atlanta, if you're listening when this drops on Monday morning, tonight in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. I haven't seen the show yet, as we talked about in the front, but I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. I'll put my thoughts on Twitter. Oh, by the way, at David Penzer, all one word. So if you follow me on Twitter, uh, Friday night or Saturday, I will put my uh, review of the show. And um, uh, I I can't imagine that it's going to be anything but fantastic. And um, looking forward to seeing a lot of the guys that I've not seen live and, but have heard about, uh, in new Japan pro wrestling. Hey, I want to talk to you about something that, um, we're doing. And, and if you're going to WrestleMania this week, uh, this year in Tampa, Florida area, or if you're in the Tampa, Florida, Orlando, uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale area, uh, I don't plug this stuff a lot, but, um, I run a, uh, uh, event twice a year, uh, with uh, my partner Barry Rose called CWF Legends Fan Fest. We pay tribute to the legends of championship wrestling from Florida. It's a real unique opportunity to um, to be able to uh, for fans to be able to not only meet 
and spend quality time instead of just standing in a line taking a quick photo with the, the their heroes that they grow up watching but to uh to listen to two hour 90 minute uh panel discussions q a's be able to participate in that and um we're bringing that to wrestlemania weekend if you don't and you're going to be in town uh or you, you might be interested in coming uh please follow us at on twitter at CWF Legends Fan Fest, all one word at CWF Legends Fan Fest on Twitter for updates. We have three events at, taking place at what was the uh, iconic Madison Square Garden of the South, uh, the uh, Fort Homer Hesterly Armory every Tuesday night in Tampa, Florida. That's where the big matches took place. Multiple world titles changed hands there. And that was when it rarely happened. You were lucky if your city got a world title change uh, because that only happened every three or four or five years. So, um, so yeah, we, uh, we have three events. We have, uh, a Tales from the Armory with a whole menagerie of of uh, wrestlers, including Buddy Colt, who's a legend in this in this business and a legend in this area. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher, who which should be interesting to be able to have Abdullah answer questions about his career, and um, Bugsy McGraw and Ron Fuller and so many more. We have an event with uh, Kevin Sullivan. On Friday and on Saturday, we have the great debate. I don't know if you paid attention to this, but uh, there's 20, 30 years worth of heat between Ron Fuller and Bob Roop for just a short story behind it. Roop tried to take the territory back 30 years ago that Ron owned in Knoxville and with the advent of the podcast and social media, uh, both have been very vocal about uh, the reasons why. And and Ron has really never been able to get over the grudge, as he admits. They've never spoken to each other. Um, they've only agreed to do a debate for two hours. So, uh, so it should be interesting. It's as close to anything as I've seen in this business as a shoot since probably Brawl for All. But... Uh, and as you remember with Brawl for All, you never know what you're going to get when you do a shoot in World Wrestling. Uh, they, they both know the other one's going to be there. And I think they're probably both ready to bury the hatchet. But, you know, one person may say something that upsets the other person. So it should be an interesting evening. So uh, just want to tell you about that. It's probably the biggest thing other than this podcast that I've done since uh, I left WCW. So if you could spread the word and uh, tell your friends and family, if you're going to be at WrestleMania weekend or in the area that weekend at CWF Legends Fan Fest, I'd love to meet you there. I'd love to see you there and uh, I'd love for you to experience it. So I appreciate Thank you in advance. Uh, and again, follow me at David Penzer, all one word. We'll talk about my experiences at the New Japan Pro Wrestling Show tomorrow, which was last Friday as you listen to this. Until next time, if you're not confused enough, I'm David Penzer. I think I'm still sitting ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. 
We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 